0: Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, non-surprising, but I guess my question is going to be, where do they go next? Is that going to, like, open up the eyes and, hey, this is number 21, 21, meet head coach, a uh, guy like Dion Jackson, or you, th- you think they may elevate a guy that has a history in Denver from the practice squad in Philip Lindsay. What do you think they do tomorrow night?
1: Yeah, I, I would think Lindsay would get the call up. Why else is he here?
0: <laughs> you know,
1: it's this is kind of the insurance uh, situation of why he's on your practice squad. Deion Jackson is on the 53-man roster because he helps you out more on special teams, and you know, I, we can make fun or you know, you know make light of what Naeem Hines has had from a role standpoint this year. But I always felt like if Taylor was ever going to get hurt, which is rare um, that you would keep Hines in that hybrid role. And you would find more of kind of an in-between the tackle guy uh, to replace Taylor. And that's where Lindsay comes into play. Now you got to have some questions. I mean, Lindsay is, I think last year he had over 10 carries only three times the entire season. So you know, what does he look like from a workload standpoint? He hasn't played in an NFL game in, you know, 10 months. So those are all questions that you have. Um, but, you know, similar to when I think it was Marlon Mack got hurt in 2019, you kept Hines in that role. I know it wasn't as expansive as maybe the Colts wanted it to be, or I should say at least the Colts act like it is. Um And it was Jonathan Williams who they brought up, and and, and he had a big night, ironically enough, on a Thursday night, over 100 yards and replacing Mack. So um, if I'm guessing, I would say, you know, if you have 25 carries for running backs tomorrow night, you know, 13 for Lindsey, 10 for Hines, and two for Deion Jackson.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, I guess – I guess maybe so. Hey, By the way, Desmond Patman did clear waivers today. He was, of course, waived uh, in a maneuver yesterday, I guess it was. Maybe the day before yesterday. They're all running together now. But yesterday, anyway, earlier this week, uh, he did clear waivers, meaning he went unclaimed by other teams. Kevin Bowens on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mentioned Naheem Hines. What do you think? Do you think that he is just fantastically underutilized and sometimes goes unnoticed by the head coach or are nimrods like me just completely overplaying how productive he is or or could be or might be what do you think
1: um nimrod i don't know if i've heard you refer to yourself as a nimrod yeah i just
0: i just um, thought about that you know it just kind of popped into my head right here
1: yeah nice um I tend to think it's a little bit more on the coaching staff. And, and you know, I felt like we had this conversation in the off season, John, where I think it was being inferred by a lot of people that it was all Carson Wentz's fault. Naeem Hines didn't get the ball last year. Yeah. His playing time was not at the level that the Colts act like it was last season. Um, and honestly, you're paying Naeem Hines too much money to be as utilized as he is. I mean, he's making, I think, top 15 running back money, Um and I, I don't know why they have, you know, kept this role so quiet this season. You know, I think back to week two when you didn't have Pittman, you didn't have Pierce. I thought that had Hines, Taylor, in the backfield written all over it. Hines and Taylor on the field together all game long, and they did not really tap into that. Obviously, we saw on Sunday, and, and the tight ends are great on Sunday. But, you know, Heinz's first touch comes with four or five minutes to go. But I think back to every single time we heard from Chris Ballard, and Frank Reich in the offseason. January, the Ballard season-ending presser, the combine, the draft, the spring, it was them bringing up Naheem Hines organically. It was them grouping Hines in the, I think we have three playmakers, uh, you know, high-level playmakers, Taylor, Pittman, and then they'd say Hines. It was Frank Reich bringing up, you know, I would put him on my fantasy team, or you know, paraphrasing there, but whatever Reich said. So it, it, a lot of it was, you know, them mentioning it, um, if you look know, at Hines' rushing numbers this year, they are not good. But, you know, I'd also argue he's barely – I think he has like eight carries in the season. And, again, I think he should be more of a factor in the receiving game, especially with your offensive line. You know, Getting the ball in Hines' hands a little bit earlier in plays, get it out of Matt Ryan's hands, avoid that pressure, see if Hines can do something with it,
0: um, that has not been utilized enough. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it this way. Sometimes I wonder maybe if I, especially it's me, I'm the one that's probably talks about it more than anybody. Yeah, maybe I um, overemphasize uh, ultimately his level of production. I mean, maybe it just, because it, it does seem like when he gets opportunities, there's not really anything eye-popping. And then when he doesn't get opportunities, we all kind of go haywire and start, you know, ripping it and criticizing it, but, you know, maybe they're just going by those attempts that he gets that. And I, you know, listen, I'm trying to talk myself into away from what my argument has been. But I, there has to be a reason more than just going unnoticed by your head coach. That, I, I guess I don't get it unless right. it's unless it's the uh, the the thing that I just brought up about, you know, not being as productive as some of the, some of us would lead it to believe. Or I, I can't imagine it being just operator error from the head coach altogether. That would be shocking.
1: Yeah, I, and I would tend to agree with that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, part of me thinks that. I, you you would hope that that is certainly not the case. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, his playing time hasn't been up there as much. And, um, you know, someone asked me earlier in the week, I actually think it was Eddie, Eddie Garrison, one of our coworkers, to say, is Naeem Minds in the doghouse? And, and I laughed. I was like, Naeem Hines? I mean, no, I mean, that dude, you know, he – Stands for pretty much everything the Colts want, and then I'm like, well, oh, I guess the question's fair because he hasn't been, you know, utilized. I think anywhere near to the level that we thought he would be. So, um, yeah, it, it's as head scratching for me, I think, as it is. And you know, it's a guy that you have as a, as a punt returner. I mean, you know, guys that you have as punt returners, you think, you know, can make plays with the ball in their hands, can make plays in space, those kind of short areas of the field, can make guys miss. And they haven't done that. And I think back to Grand Park, John, I mean, for any fan that was at training camp practices at Grand Park, almost every single day, you saw a rather unique, creative way of either Hines getting the ball or faking something to Hines and Taylor getting it or somebody else getting it. And I can't think of more than one or two times we've seen that in games this season. So it's something they clearly worked on in camp. We just haven't seen it yet.
0: All right. Would you call that? Exotic, did you reference that at camp as exotics for Naheem Hines? That, would you call it that, those plays? Yeah, I, I, I would, yeah,
1: I'd call it Oh, like, Okay,
0: uh, Yeah, and the reason why I asked that, Kev, do you think that maybe why they haven't done it is because of just the absolute ineffectiveness of the offensive line? Is that maybe why they don't feel comfortable? Or certainly, we have seen often the positions in the game in which they are, Maybe you just don't go to stuff like that the way this team offensively had played through four weeks. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of me could look at it and you know, devil's advocate would say, isn't that you know a, a different way to get a guy a touch in space? Maybe more on the perimeter to where you're not as super super reliant on your offensive line to holding up. I think the interior of the offensive line, especially, uh, you know, when you've been trying to you know, get the short yardage situations, they've just kind of broken down and they haven't been there for you. So. Um, I I understand where you're coming from with that question of like, there's a level of, you just need to get back to the basics, get back to fundamentals with this offense because you're struggling there. Uh, it it was an interesting quote from, from Frank Reich. I I agree with them, but it was shocking in that he said earlier this week at a point on Sunday in the game, he said to Marcus Brady, I think this is the second half. He goes, I think we need to pass it every single play. And looking back on the game, he probably was right. I mean, the run game was going nowhere, but like think about that as an indictment on where you're at as a football team right now, this rushing attack behind that offensive line is going up against the 32nd ranked run defense in, in their own building. And they feel like they can't run it. Uh, that to me, it's just like, wow, this is where you're at right now as a franchise and as an offense and you know, if I'm Jim Ursay, that is what would really make me pause and think, wait a minute, this is how Chris Ballard wants to build. This is Frank Reich, the offensive-minded head coach, the play caller, and it's six straight games of scoring 20 points or less. And Jim Irsay fired off the tweet back in January during the playoffs of, you know, and I forget the exact phrasing, but, you know, the final eight teams have shown that you need a quarterback, you need an offense that can get to 30 points in regulation. Well, here you are going up against really poor defenses in this stretch, and you haven't scored over 20. And he, one of those games, you, it went to overtime. That would be very alarming to me if I were him.
0: Kevin Bowens on the Andy and Automotive Group hotline. When you said a little bit earlier, well, this is what Chris said in camp. This is what Frank said in camp. I was trying to think to myself as you were talking, how many things that, was, that actually said by them in camp actually have come to fruition. I don't think there's very much, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you're, you're confident in your kicker position. It took basically one week to uh, not be that any longer, right? Um, you know, you talk about your offensive line. We know how that's played. You know, you bench your, your right guard. You're feeling comfortable with that. Mark Glowinski walks. You got a new right guard, Danny Pinter. That didn't work. Will Fries was absolutely, according to analytics of PFF, worse um, this past Sunday. You have confidence in your left tackle, which clearly has been misguided so far. Uh, There's just been a lot of inaccuracies, Kev, going back to camp, if you compare that then to what we know now.
1: Yeah, a lot of conviction, a lot of belief that hasn't really turned into action. I'd probably throw Desmond Patman on that list. Yes. Um, You know, he was a name brought up as why they weren't as active with wideouts, (laughs) and he just got cut for a street kicker in October. Um, and I guess specifically on the offensive line, you know, that to me is where it was confusing because again, I'm trying to put myself into Ballard shoes. That position group, he stresses like no other. And yet he feels the need and I think Matt Pryor would answer this. Um, if you hooked him up to a lie detector, I think he would answer this. Matt Pryor was stunned when the Colts came to him and asked him to be the left tackle. He was he was like shot like, wait,
2: you know, I mean,
1: my my resume is not bad. Matt Pryor's got to shed weight in the offseason. He's doing boxing drills to try and get his, you know, hips used to opening up that way versus primarily being on the right side for much of his NFL career. Um, So you have an NFL team that, you know, handed the left tackle keys to, you know, more of a, a, a swing guy throughout his career. And then in Pinter's case, I don't think it's to the level of, prior but danny pinter's never played guard in his life until this year and he was a tight end in high school tight end at ball state initially a tackle uh is, is what he grew into at ball state and then he played center you know wh- when he was needed in those first couple seasons for ryan kelly i don't he never started a game of guard um, so in a way you know you were taking some risks at both of those positions and it probably should shock none of us that they are the two positions that you know, have let you down the most, I would agree. And I know you feel this way that Ryan Kelly and Brad Smith and even Quentin Nelson have not lived up to the level that you need. Uh, But those two, you know, back in the off season, it was kind of like, huh, this is it. They're just going to let those guys start. And it's not like Bernard Ryman or Will Fries had any serious chance to earn the starting job in camp. I, I, I believe until Ryan Kelly got COVID that last week at camp, I think, Prize or excuse me, Pinter and Pryor took every single starting rep. It's not like you went three days of Prior, three days of Ryman to try and create a competition. It was never competition there.
0: Kevin Bowen joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We got the Colts and the Broncos short week on a Thursday night. It's coming up tomorrow night. No, Jonathan Taylor, as we found out earlier today, Kev's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I remember. And I always thought it was kind of in light of me constantly talking about it. But whatever, it, when Chris Ballard made fun of, you know, the notion that, you know, they should move or think about moving Quentin Nelson to left tackle. And, of course, um, I was the spearhead of that that silly notion for a long period of time. I'll be completely honest with you. That notion is no more silly than in actuality what he did with Matthew Pryor in putting him at left tackle. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, that would still make a hell of a lot more sense than doing what they did to start the season with Matthew Pryor.
1: Yeah, when you and I have had this Nelson left tackle conversation, I will reiterate, and I think part of this comes from just me being so obsessed with Notre Dame. I've always been under the impression Quentin Nelson wants no part in left tackle. Right. um, Or at least doesn't want to do it on a permanent basis. Uh, But the the prior left tackle thing, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier today, John, you know, we can talk about wideout, talk about quarterback. Um, Left tackle to me is the most confusing position that Chris Ballard has lacked addressing over the years. And it goes back to Anthony Costanto. As soon as he publicly flirted with retirement, really, as soon as he got hurt to start that 2018 season, at age 30, You want to talk about Andrew Luck having off-the-field interest? Costanzo had a 1,000 more of them, and he always struck me as a guy like, at some point, the technician aspect of he just loves being a technician and playing football, that's just going to wane, and and he's just going to want to stop. Um, And yet they just neglected drafting a tackle throughout all those early Ballard drafts. They finally did it with Ryman. Um, But, you know, even starting Ryman, I mean, how many times do you see a rookie third-round pick start day one so whether they would have gone that option or they would have gone Matt Pryor which they obviously went prior either of those options is really unlike any NFL franchises operated particularly in the last few seasons um, I looked up like the last time you had a rookie third round tackle start a left tackle and it's been years um, and then in Pryor's case I called him a journeyman probably is a little bit too harsh but you know, he, he's kind of like a poor man's Joe Hager, Joe Wrights, and you're all of a sudden saying, hey, man, you're going to be our starting left tackle from day one, and during camp, you aren't going to even lose your starting job for the first 13 days of camp. And really, Ryman took like three series of reps there. Uh, again, considering Ballard's emphasis on the offensive line, that one was always really, really confusing to me. I get wide out because I know Ballard doesn't, hold that in the same regard I understand quarterback I don't agree with it, but I understand it because again the first day of his opening press conference at West 56th Street he said it's not about one guy you know this and that and it's been true he certainly is not you know look at quarterback in that light so those ones there's at least some like you know crumbs that you know lead to the answer the left tackle one I'm like what in the world that one to me it
2: just makes no sense
0: it's funny. Somebody inside the lounge for YouTube live. I think it was uh, yeah, Jesse said. It's not like it's Madden. You can't just place players anywhere on the line. Fine, but that's what Ballard did. I mean, that's that's what he did. It's very Madden live. I'm going to put this guy who's you know been a guard, but let's put him at left tackle because we have no options. And, and the other thing is, two years ago, right? It was the equity pay draft. Yeah, didn't they have a lot of offensive linemen that, that went in the first round? And it was funny because I remember initially um, when, when Ballard was talking, it was about, you know, how plentiful that draft was going to be with those types of possibilities. And then we when we got closer or even on that data, maybe it was thereafter, he had mentioned that he didn't like any of those names in and around where they drafted in that area because he didn't feel them to be tackle-worthy. So I, I just remember the kind of the, the whole right. theme changing from, hey, this is fruitful with guys that can play the position to where, yeah, we didn't like anybody in that general area because we didn't feel that they were tackle worthy. Kind of changed.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it was left tackle specific. Felt like some right. guys could play right, but some guys couldn't play left. Christian Darris that was the name when it was getting right. Quiddy Pay on the board, and they, they went with Pay. They thought he had a little bit higher character this is why they went there. Um You know, I'll go back to a Joe Wright's quote, and I I don't think he's with you guys tomorrow night, but if he was, he he could bring this up. Um, And Joe said at at one point, a guy that's played all over the offensive line, said that, you know, offensive linemen are made, but left tackles are born. There's just a rare amount of God-given traits you got to have to play over on that left side with the right-handed quarterback. Um, And I always felt like, you know, and this is obviously something that Bill Polian tried and did not have great success with in, you know, molding or, or trying to blend the Manning years to the next era. At some point, every franchise strives to kind of pass the torch. You know, can you go from Tariq Glenn to Tony Hugo? Can you go from Robert Mathis to, you know, Jerry Hughes? And, again, those are examples that didn't work out. Uh, you know, Kansas City did a really nice job at quarterback. Alex Smith got them to the playoffs. But then they went from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. That's a really nice, you know, blend that you don't usually see teams get at quarterback. I always felt like with Costanzo, considering he was such a technician, this guy loved like just literally he felt like it was almost like a science project, him playing left tackle of, you know, you've got to do this right and that right. Fundamentals are the, you know, end all be all. I always thought to myself, what a perfect guy to learn from draft a tackle in the fourth round, groom him. If at some point you feel like he can play left tackle, that's gold. If not at the bare minimum, you've got, you know, a swing tackle, a backup tackle that has been in your system for a few years. And, you know, he can be a, a, an important piece and you're not kind of in scramble mode like you are and have been at left tackle ever since Costanzo decided to retire.
0: Hey, Kevin, are they going to go with Fries at right guard tomorrow night as a starter still, or back to Penner? What, what's going to happen?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I I don't know, to be honest with you. I would assume you'd stick with Fries just because you didn't practice all week. Uh, granted, you know, Penters had more practice reps than Fries. I think the good news is Denver, unlike Chris Jones in Kansas, Kansas City, unlike Jeffrey Simmons and Nico no. Autry with Tennessee, they don't have the same sort of interior guys that – these two teams that you just played have. Um, But yeah, I, I, you know, part of me thinks, you know, is Bernard Ryman a guy that could slide in the starting lineup uh, when you get back from the mini by again, you didn't practice this week. He's still dealing with that ankle injury. So I understand why they've stuck with prior, but when you get four practices next week, that extra practice on Monday coming back from the mini by, is that a chance for the rookie to slide in the starting lineup? Because if you're going to be mediocre over there, be mediocre with a rookie.
0: So up, Kevin Boa, the morning show, Kevin and Query, 93.51075 here on the fan, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, offensively, you know, obviously one of the worst teams in the NFL, certainly in scoring. What are we going to see tomorrow night without Jonathan Taylor? what's going to be the focus? I guess you can start right here. They have no chance. I don't care what the personnel is on the other side and that atmosphere on a Thursday night in a short week. If this offensive line doesn't play better than it has, you've got no chance, especially with the quarterback that's pulling the trigger back there and Matt Ryan. But how do you think they handle it offensively without Taylor tomorrow night?
1: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Honestly, it's probably like the first one to 20 is going to win the game, considering both offenses and the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, you know, on this short week, do you go like intense, quick rhythm passing games? Um, you know, I thought, honestly, it was the passing attack, ironically enough. And, you know, the yeah. score probably dictated some of that. But I thought that's what got you back into the game on Sunday. You know, you, you found those tight ends a lot on crossers. I thought, you know, Frank Reich did do a nice job scheming those guys open, uh, wide open, uh, for, for a lot of the afternoon. So, you know, is that something where, you know, a you, you, little bit of tempo, a little bit of, just getting the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands. Um, Again, kind of dictate a little bit. That helps out, I think, with crowd noise. It's a short week. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's something they did against the Jets last year on the short week. I'd have to go back and and, and look. But I do think that's something you can tap into on Thursday night. And obviously, when you don't have your starting running back, you need to do something differently because he's such a focal point for what you do. Uh, So I think that's something that I am curious about. I I do think what you've seen with Pierce and taking some shots down the field with him that that needs to be in the game plan, I'd say twice every game, because now what you're doing is you're kind of putting a seeded out into opposing corners. The more you throw the ball, the more you put that on film, they're going to think twice about, you know, cheating up on Pierce, and that's when he can do some of the comeback route stuff. So I I think that's been a promising aspect of the offense these last couple weeks.
0: Hey, Kev, I'm assuming that they'll play this defensive line wise, much like we saw them play, I thought, very successfully two weeks ago against Patrick Mahomes. And you've got, you know, Russell Wilson coming in, short week as well. He's got a ding shoulder. They handle that defensively much like they handled. Mahomes. I guess if you're gonna look on the bright side of something, especially defensively, what they did a couple of weeks ago against Kansas City is something I would expect they have to do tomorrow night, and we have seen, obviously, they were capable of doing that. Will they be tomorrow?
1: Yeah, I I do think that is the the plan that needs to be in place. And you're right. They did a brilliant job of that against Mahomes. I do think Wilson is similar and that he likes to hold on to the ball and Um, He he throws a great deep ball, um, and I think he wants to take some chances, and that's something that they haven't done a whole lot of. So I I would assume that that would be part of their game plan. And um, I I think for the most part, the Colts have typically done a nice job with those types of quarterbacks over the years. You know, I thought they rushed Josh Allen really well in the game last year. Um, I think something to watch is DeForest Buckner's health. You know, he played 19 snaps, I think it was, on Sunday. That's an extremely low number for him coming off the elbow. We all saw kind of the Barry Bonds elbow brace that he had. The guy that took up, you know, pretty much his normal playing time was Taquan Lewis. Well, you know, Lewis suffered a concussion, so he's out. So your defensive tackle depth, if Buckner's got to be on a pitch count, you know, is something to to monitor. Uh, But that's a part of the game that, you know, on paper – you know, Denver's O-line, I don't think it's been a strength for them. They haven't ran it great. are obviously without Williams. Uh, that should be an area where the Colts, if Buckner's healthy, can control the game. And I think it's vital to do that and not let Wilson get into a rhythm and not let him tap into some of those big plays.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, this game looks much different than it did when the schedule first came out. I don't think there's any question about that. But honestly, if you were looking at it from a Bronco standpoint, so do the Colts.
1: Yeah, I thought it was the hardest schedule. Or I thought it was the hardest game on the schedule. when the schedule, came because, out. Of the Man, week,
0: thought, because of the short week, because of the short week after Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I thought huge divisional game. You know, four days earlier, your it's tra- What your second longest road trip of the year behind Las Vegas? Uh, the altitude, you know, all those factors. I thought that this was – I think it was, like, one of the few games I had them losing by a couple scores, Uh, maybe the only game, honestly. So, uh, obviously, that's not played out like that. I went on Denver Radio earlier today. They feel very much the same way. You know, I I don't think um, they are – you know, feel like they're more one and three than two and two. Um, So, it's two teams that have this Thursday night game sandwiched between big divisional games, and they really, really could need it. Uh, obviously the Colts benefit from playing in the division to where I, I don't see Tennessee or Jacksonville ever running away with it. Um, I don't see the Colts obviously r- r- running away with it either, whereas Denver is in that, hey, it, it, you know, if if you lose a couple more, not only are you losing, you know, touch of the of the top of the AFC, but then you're starting to scramble with the wild card and you play in such a loaded division, and really they haven't played a ton of divisional
0: games yet. It's uh, Kevin Bowen with us from the morning show. All right, quick question regarding the Pacers coming up to start the uh, preseason tonight and then the rest of the season. Uh, It appears that you're going to have four or five teams that are going to try to tank big time, right? We know the Pacers are rebooting. Is this a tank or a rebooting season in your opinion?
1: Well, I probably classify it more in the reboot. You know, tank is weird at the NBA, and I don't know if Kyle can look up these odds, but, you know, Taking the NBA doesn't mean what it used to. If I'm not mistaken, I think like if you have the worst record in the league, your percentage of getting the number one pick is fourteen percent. If you have the fifth worst record in the league, your chance of getting the number one pick is like eight percent or something like that. I mean, that's not a massive margin. It's changed a whole lot. They've tried to get away from the outright tank. Um, obviously, I understand the benefit to losing games. I do think, instead of ending games, and I don't know how to say this without it coming as a shot at, you know, a guy like Keeper Sykes or those other guys that were playing meaningful minutes for the Pacers last season, I'd like to think you aren't going to have games where three guys that were on the Mad Ants in October are now finishing games for you in February. I would like right. to think you would have games where it's a little bit more talent on the floor late, injury luck should be on their side a little bit more, even if those veterans get traded, they should be out there early in the season. And the end the games, I mean, that was such an issue for them last season. You know, four points or less, the record was horrific. Um, you got to be better there. And I, I do think there's an element of, you know, luck just kind of finds its way. So, you know, I saw 23-and-a-half wins. I am hammering the over. Um, I've had several people reach out to me that, you know, have some ties to the Pacers organization, and they're like, dude, the Pacers want to lose. And I'm like – I, I I I get that, and I understand, and I I guess I'm a little surprised that like they're making that abundantly clear within the organization, and I understand that But part of me is like, you know unless you outright bench the guys, like, you know, it's not like you're like, hey, TJ McConnell, throw the ball out of bounds, yeah, you yeah. know, things like that. And yeah, I mean, I was with oh, Carlisle. It. Yeah. I was in Carlisle with you yesterday, John. I mean, how many times did he bring up the Vegas over under?
2: I mean, he, he did. He brought yeah. that up,
1: you know, yeah. on his own. So. I would think his resume would be a guy that he doesn't like to repeat 25 and 57 like they had last season.
0: So Kevin Bowen, morning show's got you covered 7 until 10 a.m. with he and Jake Query. And uh, Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I appreciate it, man. We'll uh, talk with you coming up next week and see what happens coming up on Thursday. Could be a wild Friday. And listen, I'm telling you, that, that time off, that short week, I think, benefited Chris Strasser the longer week after, as you mentioned, that many buy if this offensive line struggles tomorrow night may not. So, we'll watch for that for sure.
1: Yeah, a little scapegoat party. Him, Danny Pinter, and Rodrigo yeah. Blake and shit. By the way, I know you're up against it, but congrats on the free throw effort. Gotten out buddy. on one foot, raising money for Teachers Treasures. I love it all.
0: Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you, Kev. See, you, John. It's uh, Kevin Bowen, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. The voice of the Pacers—that is Chris Denary, who joins us now. Hello, Chris. How are you?
2: Hey, John. Uh, always great to be with you. Look forward to another year of uh, radio with you in the afternoons, and yeah, it's hard to believe—year number seventeen for me uh, doing the play-by-play on TV. So it's—it's uh, it's been an amazing run. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and. And uh, really looking forward to this year. Uh, I know you had Coach Carlisle on yesterday. I've been at, at all the training camp practices. Uh, I think all but one, um, and just have watched this youthful group uh, learn to grow together. And that that's what the year's about. I think it's going to be fun to watch, and uh, I'm ready for the year.
0: So Kristen Denary is with us. I, it's it's funny when you talk about the the youth movement here. I was when I was talking to Rick yesterday. I mean, clearly the first thing you think about is, you know, how in bore, or how on board is a former championship winning coach that's been in the league for so long? How on board is he with it? And uh, listen, he almost seemed like that he was re-energized by dealing with this particular group, a, a group and wanted to see where they end up going, you know, not just now, but in the foreseeable future.
2: I, I definitely think that. I think, you know, you, you're really focused on the long term, but. You know, from a short-term standpoint, you've got a, a lot of young pieces to work with. You've got an opportunity to just see some guys play with guys that they didn't play with last year. Miles Turner, for, for instance, missed the last 40 games of the year. So you know, T.J. McConnell played all but three games. So you've had some guys that didn't really get to figure out how to play with Tyrese Halliburton or Jalen Smith or Buddy Heald or, or, or Isaiah Jackson. So I think that's one of the things that I think Rick has been enthused about. I think he has a really good coaching staff. Uh, They do a great job of teaching. One of the things they've really focused on, and we know how poor the defense was last year, they've really been focusing on the defense, that you've got to guard your yard, if you will. Because if you guard your yard, then you don't have to rely on that help defense as much. Now, with the return of Miles Turner, you've got one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. That will clearly help things. But you, you've harped on it over the years, you know, the last few years is getting beat out on the perimeter, and that creates a lot of rotational issues for the defense. So that, that's been a bulk of their of their work uh, in the preseason with, with, with these young guys and these young legs is figuring out a way that they can be better defensively.
0: You know what, Chris, talking about them defensively, too, in the short-term past, that was certainly um, a shortcoming of theirs, a glaring shortcoming, but you kind of just knew who they were at that time with that group. And you knew that, yeah, it wasn't going to get better. At least when you look at this group, there is room to grow into it because really, I mean, everything on this team right now is necessary. So you're thinking, you know, you can probably find and then cultivate guys certainly with a more willingness to play defense than guys that were already in the short term past, I guess, Chris set in their ways, that makes sense. Well- yeah, and
2: to your point, I think you know, we, we talk about tuning in and, and, and watching Pacers basketball. I mean that that's that's I think that's why you're gonna tune in because you don't know what to expect. I mean, maybe there were some things that happened over and over in that stretch with the same personnel um that, that you came to just know what was gonna right. happen. And and in this situation, um you're you're you wanna see Benedict Matherin and how he defends and, and what type of offensive player he is. Um, Aaron Neesmith I mean can he do what Jalen Smith did last year when Jalen Smith got the opportunity to play significant minutes with the Pacers he did a lot of things you never saw him do in Phoenix and and Nismith was behind uh, Tatum and and Brown and, and just didn't have an opportunity to play so those are the things that I think are are going to be exciting and and Watching this young group and and clearly in the conversations that I've been able to have after practice watching and listening to Tyrese Halliburton, there is no question he wants to be the leader of this team. He is embracing being the leader of this team. And he said, look, it's on me. The way we play is a representation of me. So if we are not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, that's on me. You love to hear that. and And those are the things that they've been working on now. Uh, You know, we'll see starting tonight a little bit. Again, it's the preseason. I think we'll see a lot of players on the floor. Though, as you said, Rick Carlisle said yesterday, look, we only have four games. We don't want to coast into the regular season. And if you coast into the preseason, that that can set you up for failure early in the season. So I anticipate they will use a lot of players, but they'll also give some significant minutes to the guys that that they want to get it.
0: What do you think? I, I didn't ask. Rick, this yesterday, it didn't really occur to me until afterwards, too, because it probably doesn't matter now, because you're going to have so many dudes, especially in the preseason, but once you start the regular season, what type of rotation do you expect to see? Have you thought about that very much?
2: Well, Rick said uh, a couple of days ago, he said, look, I, I won't I won't fear going 10-11 deep with this group, and, and John, when I look at it on paper, that that's probably accurate, because you've got a lot of guys that are fairly equal. I mean, you saw Terry Taylor do some nice things as a rookie a year ago. O'Shea Brissett, they sort of play the same position. Um, you've got Jalen Smith. Uh, you've got Miles Turner. You've got Isaiah Jackson. How does Gogo Batase fit in? So so there's five or six guys in the front court. And then in the back court, of course, you have Halliburton and Duarte and Matherin and McConnell. Is uh, Nemhard a guy that is going to see some activity? B. Smith. So I've thrown out about 11 or 12 names the one thing about the NBA is when you look at the schedule and I, I sort of zero in after Thanksgiving. And one of the reasons is we're back on the road for the first time since March of 2020, but the Pacers, the day, uh, the day after black Friday, will go on the road for seven games in 12 days out West. They come home after playing Minnesota on a Wednesday and then play Friday, Saturday, Monday, a three game homestand. So all of a sudden there's about 10 games in 16 days. So I would anticipate that at times Rick Carlisle, because of the young roster and because of who he has, he will go a little bit deeper uh, because he'll need to with the way the schedule is formatted.
0: Chris D'Addario is the voice of the Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How excited are you to be back on the road? I I know that we're in an ever-changing technology world right here where you can do things. You can do things remotely. I mean, I do this with Hagen at 59 every Sunday night, and I thank him very much because I don't have to drive all the way to the northwest side. There are just some things, however, that to me, you, you want to know if you're watching or listening that they're actually on site. And certainly basketball, in your case, is one of those for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, basketball, you know, is a game, as we've seen uh, in the last two-plus years. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do remotely. and um, yeah. But but I think the advantage is when you're on the road, I'm different than than you are at home. Because if I'm in the studio calling a game off a 70-inch monitor, there might be somebody at home that has a 100-inch monitor and is is basically doing the same thing that I'm doing, but I'm the one calling the game. Uh, the one advantage you have, of course, is when you're on site, as you're, whether you're on the floor or up. But if you're on the floor, uh, the officials can come talk to you. You can look at both benches. There are a lot of things that you see during the course of a game that you aren't going to see on your television screen. So those are definitely the advantages. It's it's about being on the road and building relationships with players and coaches and, and, and the trust factor, if you will, because when you're the voice of a team, um, I, I think that's super important. And so that, that'll that be something that uh, I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, again, not on the road for the first two preseason games. We'll do the two home uh, preseason games next week. And then we'll do all 82, including 41 on the road and, and 41 at home. And and I do want to say, um, you know, the, the information that came out today, the, the all-new Pacers Plus plan uh, that gives those that, Um, you know, don't have cable or direct TV, uh, an opportunity. I mean, that's the the beauty about Valley Sports Plus is that now if you have YouTube TV or Hulu or Dish or Sling, um, you have an opportunity now to watch Pacers games. And I think the the one thing that I wanted to say, John, and I know that, you know, numbers are changing with the court cutting, but still about 85 percent of the marketplace here in Indianapolis, people still have – Cable whether it's spectrum or Xfinity or I have UVerse or or direct TV so but I think what what you know everybody is doing is making sure that you make it as available as possible and and I think what the Pacers you know are doing with this Pacers Plus plan is is an outstanding way for people to be able to go to the games at GameBridge Fieldhouse but then at the same time if you don't have cable or whatever and you've got one of the streaming packages now you will have the opportunity to watch all 82 uh, Pacers games, 41 on the road, 41 at home.
0: Tell me um about that that plan again, the plus plan that you just mentioned. I saw that earlier today too. Maybe those that yes. hadn't seen it yet, explain in detail if you would exactly what what occurs with that.
2: Yeah, it came out today we, uh, the Pacers announced along with Valley Sports that all 82 regular season and two preseason games uh will be broadcast. And there's a brand-new Pacers Plus ticket plan that includes a six-month subscription to Valley Sports Plus. And what it is, it offers fans the opportunity to get tickets, to buy tickets to five of the most anticipated games of the regular season. It's a premium fan experience. It also includes a bonus six-game free. Uh, You'll get a post-game player experience with either Benedict Matherin, Miles Turner, Chris Dorte, or Tyrese Halliburton, a limited-edition autographed Pacers Wilson mini-ball, and a six-month subscription to Bally Sports Plus, allowing you to stream every Pacers game this year. So it's a heck of a deal. I mean, you have a chance now to come down to Gainbridge Fieldhouse, watch the Pacers play six times, and then watch the remaining games, again, on Bally Sports Plus. You know, for for the people that have cable, nothing changes. I mean, we're exactly where you've always been. But for those people that have YouTube TV or or Hulu or Sling or whatever – um, now, Bally Sports Plus gives you an opportunity uh, to watch all the games.
0: Christian joins us. You know this. I've been a mild supporter for a long time, especially when others are not supporting 33. I have. All right. So he's going to get an opportunity here. Uh, certainly, there are a lot of variables to start the season. And then as the season goes along, uh, as far as him being here, how long he's going to be here and whatever. But. Considering he is going to be here in the now, what do you expect from him in what is a a certainly a significantly new role on this Pacer team? It's definitely
2: a new role because he doesn't have. I mean, he's going to have another big in in Jalen Smith, but but I mean that's different than DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, you know, uh, playing the two two, what I call the two fives. Um, Jalen can play the five, but I think he's comfortable playing the four and that's where he'll start but I think just in talking to Miles he's very energized he said he felt really good when he came back to Indianapolis he did not play a lot of pickup uh, this summer I mean he did some traveling uh, but he said once he got back to Indianapolis early September when they started playing pickup um, uh, at the practice facility he goes I really got energized and I've wanted to play with Tyrese Halliburton. I've wanted to play with Jalen Smith. Remember, all he could do last year, the final 40 games, and especially the 20-plus when they made the trade, all he could do was sit on the bench and wonder what it would be like. So uh, this is an opp- a real opportunity for him, I think, to shine. And, and, and I don't know, you know, do more. I mean, he's been 13.7 rebounds, nearly three block shots. Can those numbers go up? Can they be 16 and 10? Um, but I think one of the things he's excited about is the young guys out on the perimeter that he believes will be better defensively and not put as much pressure on him. I mean, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing to watch is how the Pacers uh, defend, uh, because I, I think that they will be able to score. Uh, the the problem that they had last year was, you know, giving up too many points and, it was too easy to score against the Pacers. And so that's why in the preseason, uh, this group has really been focused a lot on defense.
0: Kristen Derry joins us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. What do you think the starting lineup is going to look like? And will uh, Matherin be a part of it? The rookie?
2: They mixed it up the last uh, few practices, but when it started out, it was uh, Halliburton, uh, Duarte, Heald, uh, Jalen Smith, and Turner. And then that second unit was McConnell and Matherin, and that's, that's, that's a pretty good defensive unit uh, to start, sort of two ball-hawking guards, and McConnell really uh, finds a way to find Matherin. Uh, Terry Taylor, Isaiah Jackson uh, have been involved in that second unit. So uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to see. I, I would think they will keep some of the units together tonight um, at times just so that they can see them work together. But Rick Carlisle did not hesitate to mention that he might mix things up as well.
0: Yeah, I I, I guess. And and this, I mean, this is kind of new territory. I say kind of because I know he went through this in Dallas as well. But it it probably takes a a little reboot in your own coach's mind as well to be a part of this. But, man, he seems like, at least yesterday in the conversation we had, he seems like he's pretty excited about it.
2: I think he is. I mean, just watching him, you know, coach every day in practice. And, you know, the one thing that Rick does is he really empowers his assistant coaches to have a voice. And you hear a lot of Ronald Norad. You hear uh, Lloyd Pierce. Uh, you hear Jenny Busick. Uh, you hear the coaches um, not afraid to to have Calvert Chaney, who's one of the player development guys, get in there and talk to guys. And And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Rick has done. He, he empowers his assistant coaches. Uh, it's no surprise that he's head of the NBA Coaches Association, and uh, he really believes in development. And he feels, and, and I would agree, that he has a really, really good staff. And I think they're the perfect staff to do what they're doing now. They've got some really good players. I believe they're young and they've got to learn. Uh, but but it's something that, uh, again, I'm anxious to watch this team grow. And, and to see how all the pieces fit together.
0: Who else? I mean, I know everybody does because it's a fresh new season here. Who else interests you or you're, you're excited about off the top of your head? Well, I'm wanting uh, to see for I, this I,
2: team. Yeah, I think I think Isaiah Jackson. I mean, he's bulked yeah. up a little bit. He's gotten a lot stronger. Um, he's a guy that um, probably needs to look for his offense a little bit more other than, you know, Halliburton throwing those lobs. But uh, Isaiah shot. He only made five threes last year, and I think it's something that he's capable of doing. Uh, Terry Taylor's had a really good training camp. Um, you know, this is a kid that played at Austin P, was a part of the Mad Ants last year on a two-way contract, and he had some significant games uh, late in the year. And, and I think, John, the, what was most interesting last year was with the record and despite all the changes the Pacers played 27 games last year that were decided by five points or less, and they only won six of them. Um, and, and so I, I think this is a team that can can be in games. I think they'll have some really cool wins this year. They're probably going to have some tough times as well. But I think I think if if they can do a better job, even with this young group in those close games, they have they have a chance to have a little bit better you know a better record than I think people would anticipate.
0: So, Chris who who is the voice of the Pacers, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Man, McConnell, I had McConnell on Thursday. I he I could talk to him for a while. He's about as good a conversation as you're going to find.
2: Uh, he's he's absolutely the best, and uh, you know he's one of the guys. When I think about traveling, uh, you'd get on the bus to to go to the arena on the road, and he has at least probably his 10th cup of coffee of the day as he sits down next to you. And you can just tell how ready he is each and every night to play. And one of the questions that somebody asked him is like, and, and I said we ought to have sort of a gong on our telecast this year, is for every time that he baits an opposing player into stealing an inbounds pass. Because it I swear two years ago it happened almost nightly with McConnell, you know, taking an inbounds pass and either finding a teammate for a basket or scoring himself. But, uh, yeah, he, he's one of the older Pacers now. I mean, he's 29 years yeah. old. He's now in his eighth year, um, and and it's in his fourth year with the Pacers. So it's it's really cool to see him out there on the floor.
0: So what would you say, 17 years on the call with the Pacers now, Chris?
2: Yeah, this is my 17th. Um, I got the job uh, when Al Albert stepped away back in 2006, and yep. uh, you know, for a kid that went to Westfield High School and Wabash College, and not your traditional, you know, broadcasting school, uh, to do what I'm doing in my hometown is is quite special. So I'm I'm very very fortunate.
0: So you started this 17th year. I started in November of 04 doing this, not here, but this on a daily basis. So. We are pretty close there, as far as that's concerned. Yeah.
2: I mean, I had the two-year run prior to when I was ending my – I spent 17 years as the voice of Butler. So the the yeah. final two years, I was the sports director at Fox 59. I worked with Hagen, yep. uh, where, where you are every Sunday night. And so I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, I did the fever for, for 18 years from 2000 to 2017. And, uh, you know, to be – again, to be able to do what I've been able to do as many of us in this market. I mean, all of us who are Hoosiers or, you know, Matt Taylor uh, went to Franklin College. He's the voice of the Colts. Um, it's it's just really special. So uh, every year is a different year. And last year, clearly from a record standpoint, it it, it wasn't what anybody wanted. But I think what the Pacers have done is, is they put together a plan. And, and everybody is on board and excited about the plan. And uh, anxious to see how the season starts and to see this group grow.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not saying anything, but you can kind of see why, if you watched last night, some other teams have a longer-term vision type of plan, I guess, right? I don't know if you watched those two young guys play last night, Wimbayama and uh, Scoot Henderson, but... That was pretty enjoyable watching those guys you know, go one another. Yeah,
2: it was. Yeah, I watched that. I was flipping back and forth. Uh, TNT had a, a preseason doubleheader. I'll tell you who looked really good last night too was Zion Williamson. Uh, but he looked fit, uh, just a much different body. Um, so yeah, it was an exciting night of basketball. I know we're right in the heart of football season. You know, only week yeah. week five coming up of the NFL and college football, but uh, it's always good when you have. You're coming up on that time, John, where you got basketball starting, you have the baseball playoffs, you're the heart of the football season. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fun time to be a sports fan.
0: i tell you somebody else that, uh, at least from what I've been reading out of Cleveland, our friend Dylan Windler was had an outstanding offseason and was having a, a great camp. Um, I, I know that he I, – I guess he's not playing tonight uh, because of a, a slight – injury, but that's always been his issue being able to, to stay healthy and stay on the floor, but I, I heard a lot of good things coming out of Cleveland regarding him in the weeks leading up now to the start of the season.
2: Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're a franchise. John, if you look at what the Pacers are doing, it, all you have to do is look at like Cleveland and Memphis and a lot of these teams, Phoenix. Now, they added Chris Paul, but, but they've done it with Aiton and Booker and Cameron Johnson uh, and and Bridges, uh, Mikhail Bridges, all young guys. They 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 got through the draft. Uh, Memphis, same thing. Cleveland, as you you know Garland and and, and company. And now they've added Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So there is a definite there is a definite plan. I mean, everybody a few years ago looked and said, looked at Golden State and said, okay, we got to play like Golden State. Uh, but I think what you're seeing is that the draft is is a great way. Uh, to, to bring in some young guys. And if I look at it, I mean, Halliburton was the 12th pick in 20. Um, Neesmith was the 14th pick in 20. Jalen Smith was the 10th pick in 20. Even though you didn't draft them, you got them in trades. Those are three guys that are high-level players. So um, I, I think that's that's what you're looking at. And, uh, again, you um, It's been six months since we've we've done a game and uh, chomping at the bit to do it.
0: Hey, did you see that atmosphere in Seattle the other night too, by the way, with uh, the Clippers? I forget who their competition was, but the Clippers and the return of Kawhi, uh, that was in Seattle. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, it is a great market. Um, And and I have to believe that you know
2: Seattle and and Las Vegas have to be uh, the two that I would believe would be front and center. Uh, for expansion franchises at some point down the road. And and then you'd go to 32 teams, and I think that's exactly what the NBA wants to do.
0: Yeah, that Seattle thing looked pretty cool the other night, though, especially, I mean, you and I are both older, too, and certainly have loved basketball. And, you know, not even talking about the the Gary Payton, you know, Sean Kemp days, but we're talking about those days with, you know, downtown Fred Brown and when Dennis Johnson played there, when they won it, and I think 79, right, the uh, NBA title. Yeah. Those, those teams in Seattle, those were the special ones for me.
2: Yeah, and I had a chance uh, right when I got into the league. It's before they moved to Oklahoma City. I, I did a few games in Seattle, and I was also there with the fever during the WNBA and, and what they've done to that arena. Uh, those, there, there are so many either former or current NBA players, John, that come out of seattle um and uh, it's a hotbed for basketball and and you saw that in the as you said in those two preseason games just how much i think they want nba basketball to come back
0: chris Denary, basketball is back the voice of the pacers with this pacers preseason game that's their opener on the road in charlotte coming up later on tonight chris back with us via the andy moore Automotive Group Hotline. Tell everybody, Quinn and JJ and Jamie and Eddie and everybody, we said hello and uh, welcome back. It's good to have everybody back.
2: Hey, thanks so much. 84 straight on Valley Sports Indiana starting next Wednesday. Two preseason, then all 82. So we've got you covered all year long.
0: You got it. I appreciate you, Chris. Talk again soon. Thanks, John. It's Daenery right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.